Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good evening, everybody. This is the proud son of Sally Mae Keller. And I want to welcome you to our first episode of Real Talk. I said, if it ain't talk if it ain't real. And I've always felt like that we need to be able to communicate more. We need to be able to talk to one another more. You know, we're living in a in a day and time now where uh, with social media and cell phones and, you know, it's gotten so bad that even with the family, because there was a time that family kind of meant family, that you would come together at a certain time of day and um, family would sit down to the dinner table and have dinner together. You know, in this in this fast-paced world that we're living in now, you got people texting each other in the same house. You know, somebody upstairs texting somebody downstairs. I mean, you could almost be sitting in the same room now, one sitting on the sofa texting the one on the sitting on the chair. Uh, but we've we've kind of gotten away from a lost art of communication, and we're going to make an attempt at being able to reestablish, being able to talk to one another, and being able to share information and being able to do things that we might, um, in order to not only be able to help ourselves, but be able to help others. You know, the Word of God tells us that in all of our getting, get an understanding and then it also says that my people perish for a lack of knowledge. And one thing I seem to point out every time I have an opportunity to say something or to uh, to speak to someone about knowledge and information, that seems to be my thing, that if, if you've got a cell phone and you've got an Internet connection, then you've got access to all the information in the world. But we're so busy tweeting and texting and doing all this other stuff that um, we oftentimes, uh, the art of communication somewhere gets lost in that. Um, so can everybody hear me this evening? Hello? Yes. Okay, great. Good evening. Welcome for coming. So we're gonna we're, we're gonna do we're gonna do something this evening. We're gonna attempt to do something that people rarely do. You know, we're gonna talk. Um, as we get started here, let me open up with with a word of prayer. Our Father and our God, we thank you for allowing us to come together today. God, we thank you for this technology that you've given us, and we know oftentimes it gets abused in one way or another. But there are times when it's used to be able to actually help someone to share information and to just to be able to communicate communicate uh not across not just across town but across states across countries and even across oceans there God and we pray that you would make us good stewards as we attempt to use this means of communication and God, I just pray 
that someone would be helped this evening, that someone might be encouraged, that someone might hear something that would give them the strength to persevere. Somebody might hear something that would give them a better understanding of something they may not have quite have understood so well. But at the end of the day, dear God, our prayer is just that somebody might be helped. But we come knowing this evening that you've blessed us, that we might, in fact, be a blessing. Sometimes we go through things, but our test becomes our testimony. And God, your word says that we overcome by our testimony. So help us this evening. Pray, God, that you would lead and that you would guide this conversation. And we'll give your name the glory, the honor, and the praise. Pray, God, that you would bless all those that have come, all those that will come. And dear God, that even after it's said and done, that we would be able to put the recording out there or something that someone might yet and still be helped and blessed in some kind of way. It is in Jesus' name and for his sake we pray. Amen. And thank you, Lord. Amen. To God be the glory. We, amen. We thank you again for joining us this evening. And uh, as I posted on Facebook today, I chose our first topic to be codependency. You know, they say you got to go through some things before you could talk about some things. And I think if I didn't went through or experienced something for 35 years, I think maybe, just maybe, I earned the right to just say a couple things about it. But I didn't come here to diagnose anybody. I'm not a, a clinical psychiatrist. I'm not a, a therapist. I ain't a social worker. I'm just a brother that went through some stuff. You know, I thank God for saving my soul, and I wish he could have did something with his flesh at the same time. Um, but I thank God this evening for there are avenues of help for those that desire help. As I said in the video that I posted, it's a shame that um, uh, dealing with therapists and, and mental health has such a stigma attached to it. You know, I know growing up we used to refer to, to psychiatrists and people like that as shrinks, and, and the first time somebody said something about counseling, it was almost as if the first thing out of their mouth was, I ain't crazy. I don't need to see no. Well, it's not about being crazy. It's about needing help. And I don't know whether any will agree with me or, or no one will agree with me, but everything is not spiritual. Uh, you know, there are, answers, there are answers to just about everything in the Word of God. But the solution sometimes comes at the hand of those that God has placed in a place for a reason. And so whatever the stigmatism or stigma is associated to therapy or counseling, I don't have that stigma. I think I got out of counseling about 35 minutes ago, and I thank God for what it has done for me, the better understanding I have gotten. Uh, my eyes have been opened, uh, but most of all, based on the counseling that I have received, it has made me look at me in a different way. So... Um, as we start off, there's a there's a thorn that has, has grown close and near and dear to my heart over the years. I mean, literally over the years. And I found this poem in a, a book called Healing the Child Within. And uh, so since this is real talk, I'll go a little deeper with that. Uh, as a matter of fact, what I'm what I'm gonna share, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to share it at the end of the at the end of the poem, and I'm gonna make a little note to myself. Uh, or help. Now, this poem is maybe three minutes long, so be patient with me, but I'd really like to, to start this conversation off with this little poem, and it's, it's called Please Hear What I'm Not Saying. And I, I recited this on Facebook maybe a week or so ago, and 
uh, if I, I recited it on YouTube a year or so ago, but I think I came in contact with this poem 30 years ago. Uh, and it's only been in the past couple of years that I've been able to make it all the way to the end of it without just literally breaking down with tears rolling down my face. So uh, I believe I could make it through it today. So if y'all bear with me, this poem is, please hear what I'm not, what, please hear what I'm not saying. Don't be fooled by me. Don't be fooled by the face I wear, for I wear a mask, a thousand masks, masks that I'm afraid to take off and none of them is me. Pretending is an art that's second nature with me, but don't be fooled. For God's sake, don't be fooled. I give you the impression that I'm secure, that all is sunny and unruffled with me, within as well as without, that confidence is my name and coolness is my game, that the water is calm and I'm in command, and that I need no one. But don't believe me. My surface may be smooth, but my surface is my mask, ever varying and ever concealing. Beneath lies no complacency. Beneath lies confusion and fear and aloneness. But I hide this. I don't want anybody to know it. I panic at the thought of my weakness exposed. That's why I frantically create a mask to hide behind. A nonchalant, sophisticated facade to help me pretend, to shield me from the glance that knows. But such a glance is precisely my salvation, my only hope. And I know it. That is, if it's followed by acceptance, if it's followed by love. It's the only thing that can liberate me from myself, from my own self-built prison walls from the barriers I so painstakingly erect, it's the only thing that will assure me of what I can assure myself, that I'm really worth something. But I don't tell you this. I don't dare to. I'm afraid to. I'm afraid your glance will not be followed by acceptance. It will not be followed by love. I'm afraid you'll think less of me, that you'll laugh, and your laugh will kill me. I'm afraid that deep down I'm nothing and that you will see this and reject me. So I play my game, my desperate pretending game, with a facade of assurance without and a trembling child within. So begins the glittering parade, glittering but empty parade of math, and my life becomes a front. I idly chatter to you in the suave tones of surface talk. I tell you everything that's really nothing and nothing of what's everything, of what's crying within me. So when I'm going through my routine, don't be fooled by what I'm saying. Please listen carefully and try to hear what I'm not saying, what I would like to be able to say, what for survival's sake I need to say, but what I can't say. I don't like hiding. I don't like playing superficial phony games. I want to stop playing them. I want to be genuine and spontaneous and me. But you've got to help me. You've got to hold out your hand even when that's the last thing I seem to want. 
Only you can wipe away from my eyes the blind stare of the breathing dead. Only you can call me into aliveness. Each time you're kind and gentle and encouraging, each time you try to understand because you really care, my heart begins to grow wings, very small wings, very feeble wings, but wings. With your power to touch me into feeling, you can breathe life into me. I want you to know that. I want you to know how important you are to me, how you can be a creator, an honest-to-God creator of the person that is me, if you choose to. You alone can break down the wall behind which I tremble. You alone can remove my mask. You alone can release me from the shadow world of panic, from my lonely prison, if you choose to. Please choose to. Don't pass me by. It will not be easy for you. A long conviction of worthlessness builds strong walls. The nearer you approach me, the blinder I may strike back. It's irrational, but despite what the books say about man, often I am irrational. I fight against the very thing I cry out for. But I am told that love is stronger than strong walls. And in this lies my hope. Please try to beat down those walls with firm hands, but with gentle hands. For a child is very sensitive. Who am I? You may wonder. I am someone you know very well. For I am every man you meet. And I am every woman you meet. Please hear what I'm not saying by Charles Finn. Under the auspices or whatever of real talk over the years that this poem has been in my possession, over the years that I've known about this poem, over the years that this poem sometimes made me cry, what I did most was cry out. Well, what you mean cry out? There's been a handful of people maybe in my life over the years that in my attempts to cry out, not cry out in a manner where I jumped on a soapbox or, or like we have now Facebook or whatever, my idea of crying out was that I would read this poem to select people. Oh, I found this poem and Oh, you really ought to hear it. It's, or it's something else. Now, can I read this poem to you? And they would probably say, yeah, of course, go ahead. And just like I did a few moments ago, for those of you who are here, I read this poem. In actuality, I wasn't trying to demonstrate how good this poem was. I wasn't trying to say that I found this outstanding poem that you really need to hear. I was hoping somebody would see me in this poem and say, Glenn, do you need some help? Glenn, I heard you. Were you talking about you? Is there something? I kept reading and nobody, <laughs> nobody was getting it. But that's all right. You know, God is a good God. But, and I say that to say how often in our lives are we crying out 
Nobody hears us. Like I say, I thank God for God and, and spiritual maturity and all of that because, you know, God has really blessed me in a number of ways. You know, he's blessed my business. You know, he's, he's given me certain gifts and talents that have been a blessing to me over the years. But those are not the reasons that I love God this evening. I love the Lord like David because he heard my cry. My friends may not have heard it. They may not have even known what I was talking about, but I love the Lord because he heard my cry. David said, I cried out of the belly of the whale, and the Lord heard me. So I thank God this evening. But, you know, over the, over the past, oh, God, however long, I've been posting different little quotes on Facebook. Some of them have to do with detachment. Others have to um, do with boundaries but all of them have something to do with codependency and and uh, the actions that they may lead someone to take. I remember when I was writing my book, and in the first draft, I was having a conversation with the publisher, and I let the words come out of my mouth that I was codependent, and he corrected me that God didn't create codependent people. You may have codependent behavior, but don't ever call yourself codependent again. But based on codependent behavior, a lot of a lot of it has to do with relationships. But I'll share with you my first the first when I first found out that I was dealing with this thing called codependency. I was a young preacher. I got a job working for a prestigious investment firm in New Orleans. My office was in, which was at the time, the tallest building in New Orleans on the first floor. I was the only African-American in the office. I mean, for all intents and purposes, brother had it going on. Got up every morning, you know, my suit tied with my briefcase going to work. And uh, the hospital in New Orleans, the main hospital was, where the majority of us were born at, if you were, lived in New Orleans, was within walking distance from my job. So when I had an occasion to do so on my lunch break, I would run to the hospital and try to visit the sick. You know, that's what we're supposed to do if we're children of God. And then um, Canal Street, I don't know how many people are familiar with New Orleans, but the main street in New Orleans at that time where people went there, they shopping before there were malls and all that was Canal Street. So I'd get off work and I'd stop on Canal Street and get on that corner and start street preaching and just doing the will of God. I had a radio, a live radio broadcast at one point was one time a week. At another time it was two times a week. And I was I was I was doing my thing, hospital, street preaching, radio station, not to mention church and activities that went on with that. And I never forget. One day I was on the, on my way to the radio station, and it was a it was a live broadcast, so couldn't nothing start till I got there. And I must have gotten halfway to the radio station, and I turned my car around in the middle of the street and went on, because I literally had no more energy for the next however long. The only energy I had was to was to get up, go to work come back home, get in the bed. Fortunately enough, I worked for a company that had something they call an EAP line, 
Employee, employee Assistance Program. It was for people who were going through something and needed somebody to talk to, where you could call in and, and the supervisor didn't have to know, the boss didn't have to know, the employer didn't have to know, nobody needed to know, where you could tell them what was going on with you and uh, have a, a listening ear and some help. And so I called in and I told them everything I just told y'all. Got this job, this this excellent job, excellent opportunity. Man, be at the hospital working for the Lord and on the street corner working for the Lord and at the radio station working for the Lord and at church working for the Lord, just preaching and, I mean, just going at it. And then the, the person on the other end of the phone asked me a question that I'll never forget. She said, well, Glenn, what do you do for you? I just told you, I go to the hospital, I be preaching on the corner, I go to rent. No, 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 Glenn, no. I ask you, what do you do for you? And it got about as quiet as it got just then because I didn't have an answer. Um, I did not have a relationship with me at all. And in my book, uh, one of the things that I end up mentioning about this very situation, I think I said in the beginning, I worked for a very prestigious investment firm and uh, went to work every day, suit, tie, briefcase. And as I recall, I had one pair of socks to my name that I would wash out dark pair of socks. So it went with the blue suit, it went with the black suit, it went with whatever suit I put on. But while I was running around trying to save, trying to minister to the world, trying to visit the sick, trying to preach to the lost, I guess I was pretty lost. Didn't, um, I wasn't even a factor. I had given no thought to how I was running myself in the ground. I gave no thought that I was just a human being with a limited amount of energy and that I couldn't be everything to everybody, but I was trying to be. Um, I guess one of the aspects or one of the attributes of codependency is every everybody and everything is more important, becomes more important than your own self, your own well-being, your own anything, even as it, even as it pertains to... Uh, relationships to some degree that you you enter into something where the other person is the be all do all. You know, as long as I can do this for you, as long as I could be this for you, as as long as I could. Uh, and one of the, the drawbacks was is that you walk in trying to fix everything, everything that's broken. I'm here to fix it. I'm here to work it out. I'm here to make it better. I'm here to do this thing. But everybody don't think they need to be fixed. But you don't care if they think they need to be fixed. You think they need to be fixed. And then you start pouring out all of this help. And and, uh, and I say you, but, you know, this is where I was. And you start pouring out all this help and doing all these things and spending all this money. And But another, another thing about codependency was um, it's as if, okay, I need you. But by the same token, I need you to need me. 
and there was no price too too high, no job too hard, no gift too big. Um, as if as if you're literally saying, I'm 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 doing all this, but you know, in return, would you love me? Could you, could you find it in your heart to, you know, because I I think I love you, and you know, if if I spend enough, will you love me back? If I if I give you enough or do enough for you, will you love me back? Well, somebody would probably agree that that that's not love. You know, it's it's hard for people who are dealing with codependency to not be in a relationship. And I know one of the things that I've said on 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 uh, Facebook before that I'll say again. You know, we look at people from a distance and we call ourselves judging them. And you know, and even the Bible tells us about being concerned about the splinter in somebody else's eye when we have a board in our a board in our eye. And I only say that because if you think about that need to be in a relationship, you know, we've seen uh men, we've seen women or whatever that look like I've I've heard this expression. Ooh Lord, she changed men like she changed underwear. And oh, look at him, he got another woman. He ain't gonna be without a woman. And they got little names for them that they call them that I guess I won't say here without even realizing there are people that are dealing with something that just won't let them not be in a relationship. They don't have nothing with have having anything to do with her being loose or whore. I guess I just call it what it is. It don't have anything to him. It don't have anything to do with him being a dog. It just has something to do with there's a group of people that are dealing with something and going through something that won't let them be alone, that won't let them be outside of a relationship. You know, one of the things that I was told, I guess it's been 35 years ago because I ended up going to something called CODA, and it's called Codependence Anonymous. It's equivalent to what people go to when they have problems with alcohol, except it's called Al-Anon, Alcoholic Anonymous. When we went to CODA, it was Codependence Anonymous. And I had I had done so much that I described in the book, and, you know, we don't have all that time. We're approaching 30 minutes now. Um, and I want to see before we finish if, if somebody has something that they would like to say or add or contribute, because I did say this was going to be a, uh, conversation and so far I've been the one talking, but just to kind of lay the groundwork because you know people didn't even know what codependency was. There was something called codependency, but it was something dealt that dealt with children of alcoholic or drug addicted parents, and they called it codependency because they grew up around this parent that always drank, that was an alcoholic, and if you were listening, you might hear them say something: "You need to stop drinking. Look what you're doing to us." Well, they drinking wasn't doing nothing to us. Their drinking was doing something to them. But we became so codependent that we took on those pains or whatever, or whatever they were going through. Like they were really affecting our life. But to some degree, if you love them, they do affect your life, but not in that way. But the, the codependency that we're talking about just dealt with relationships, and it was it was hard to accept that at the end of the day codependency happened or may have been a result of when we don't love ourselves the way we should love ourselves and we don't see ourselves in the light that we should see our light in that we should see ourselves in 
when we don't believe that we were fearfully and wonderfully made, when we don't see ourselves as being all of that, and that we feel like that if if anybody's going to love us, it's going to take giving them things. It's going to take forgetting forgetting about ourselves and and just pouring everything into them. But even that really isn't love. But what I heard what I heard one day was very, the very first counselor I saw said that uh, one of the characteristics of a codependent person, and I guess since she was talking to a, a man, she told it this way. She said, you can go into a room where there is 100 women, and in, those, in that group of 100 women, um, 99 of them will be independent, successful women, and you'll walk out with a needy one every time. And don't confuse it. That's not to say every person I ever associated with in my life was needy. But it don't. It didn't matter. It didn't matter to to me or or somebody that may be dealing with codependency. And I'm sure there's different levels of it. All I could talk about is the level that I'm aware with, aware of. They didn't have to be needed. You were just going to walk in, and I've got this, and I'm going to fix that, and I'm going to do this, and you're going to love me whether you want to or not. How many know that don't work? Because <laughs> people have a choice. And I guess if I ain't find nothing else out in 58 years, you, you can't make nobody love you. They do, they don't, they will or they won't. But these are some of the these are some of the uh, things that people who who deal with on a constant basis, uh, who part of their life is dealing with codependency, and because of that stigma associated with therapy, you know we won't go and say I'm going through something and I don't understand it and I need some help and and go sit down with a counselor and let them know let them know what's going on so they can try to help, you know every. Uh, I was here today. I have a bi-week, bi-monthly, what it is. Every two weeks, you know, I go sit down and talk to my therapist for an hour, my counselor for an hour, and 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 try to sort these things out because 58 years is long enough. It it has been too long. So in my efforts, and even even being here tonight, is just another way of. I guess some people call it facing your demons. Being able to talk it through and talk it out. Even when I wrote the book, it was very cathartic. Cathartic, I guess they call it, uh, healing, because I was able to get a lot of stuff out of me and put it on paper and put it in a book. And, okay, that was the, the poem we read in the beginning about the mask that we put on. Well, I'm tired of wearing this mask. I'm tired of walking around being someone else. I'm tired of walking around not being genuine. I'm tired of walking around trying to be everything. Maybe it wasn't even everything everybody wanted me to be. It was everything I wanted to be to somebody. But in essence, the mask needed to come off. In order to be healed, the mask needed to come off. If we if we fall and scrape ourselves and get a cut, anything that's covered up don't heal. So that so there there lies the situation, and. I'll add this before I find out if anybody else has something to say. I, I think I I believe I allowed 
religion to step in between me and my healing process. I say I allow religion to step in because when I went to my first codependency anonymous meeting, I, I went not knowing what it would be like. I went almost feeling like a fool for having put myself out there like that, uh, trying to be everything to everybody while being nothing to myself. And I'm like, how, how, and how big a fool can you be? And then, and then, you know, take this, take this with a grain of salt, however you want to take it. But it was almost as if being in the ministry almost played to that, because I was, I'm doing the will of God. I'm supposed to feed the hungry, uh, visit those that are sick and in prison. I'm, 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 I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. How can I not be burnt out? But I went to the meeting anyway because the, the counselor suggested that I find a codependent anonymous meeting, and I sit there feeling like I must have been the biggest fool in the world. Nobody has ever acted like this. What am I doing? What am I doing sitting here? And as the different people in the room begin to get up and tell their story, they were actually telling my story. When people would get up and say, I did this and I did that for love and I did this and I did this in that relationship, or I've been doing this for everybody. It was like they were literally peeping into my mind and telling my story. That's why oftentimes when church, I think they say we're overcome by our testimony. That's why it's so important, I guess, if God has done something for you to stand up and tell it because somebody's going through the same thing that you're going through, but they don't know whether or not they can come out. So when you get up and tell them that the Lord brought you out and they know that God is not a respectable person, then the same way God brought you out, they know that God brought them, that God will bring them out, and through your testimony, they begin to gain some hope in the midst of their situation. So I, I begin to sit there and realize, even until it was my turn, that I got up, that I finally got up and said, "Good evening, my name is Glenn, and I'm codependent." And the tears begin to flow, but along with the tears became a release a release of pain, a release of guilt, a release of confusion, because I had to actually face. I couldn't, I, the mask wasn't enough to cover it anymore. I guess the mask works, the mask works for a while. But when, the, when, the, when, the, when it gets hot enough, the mask don't do, you, don't do you any good anymore. So anyway, I've been doing this for about 30 minutes now, but... Um, Everybody's line is open. Uh, if there's someone that has comment, I'll try to ask a question if you have one. If there's something that you would like to contribute, by all means, feel free to do so at this time. I do have a question. Um, going through counseling and um, writing your book, have you thought out or come to find out the root cause of being codependent? I think. Um, and some of the people, I don't know if anybody on the line has the book. Um, I talk a lot about my mom. If you're connected to me on in Facebook on any way, shape, or form, form or fashion, you know I love the ground my mom walked on. But my mom was, my mom wasn't a 
touchy feely. You know, we we didn't grow up in a home where everything we did. Oh, come here, mommy, baby. Let me give you a big old hug. You know that that just didn't happen around us. And I say that to say um, something may have been missing. And I later found out in life as I began to read different things and study things that as children we go through developmental stages in our life where we learn this and we learn that that's going to, it may not serve us well as a child, but we're learning them as a child so that we'll, so that we will be a well-rounded adult. And I believe that, that, that touching and affection and all that was a part of it, but it was absent. And but I mean there was nothing my sister and I wanted for that we didn't have. I mean the the as, as far as material things, you know we had the bikes, we had the toys, you know we were never hungry, you know we cleaned clothes, we had all of that, all of that. There wasn't a t- there wasn't a time when come here, baby, Mama proud of you. Come here, give Mama a kiss. And so I, I guess to answer your question, what happened was whatever it was I missed, if it was the if it was the love, if it was the attention, if it was the hug, if it was the kisses, I may not have gotten it at home, but I have spent the better part of my adult life trying to fill that hole, trying to get that thing that I felt like I may have missed. And it, and, it, and it wasn't even a conscious thing. I mean, I'm talking about it consciously now. But when I was, when I was to me, I was just getting in another relationship. To me, I wasn't, I wasn't saying, I didn't get loved as a child. Please love me. I didn't get the attention I need. Can you give it to me? That's what I was doing. That's exactly what I was doing. And not sure your your uh sorry, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm not sure your age group or anything like that, but I think the parents of in the thirties, I don't know if they truly showed the affection that their children needed. And I'm speaking from my experiences because I knew my father was in the house, but like you said, the validation of knowing that they love you, didn't hear that or just saying, I'm proud of you and those things. So when you go out and, and they didn't teach you how to, to, um, to uh, relate with one with another person, especially the opposite sex. So um, I think it was a lack of communication from, our parents um, teaching us is like because uh, I don't know about you, but I was always told be seen and not heard, so you couldn't really okay. answer ask questions. So I think that that generation, I'm not downing them, but I think they missed the mark of really um, sharing enough with their children to um, know about relationships, how to love, what is love, or even showing that love and affection. Thank you for for sharing. I'm going to try to add another twist to that, which helped me to deal with it. Mom gave me what she was able to give me. I'll I'll maybe take it a step further. 
maybe she was able to give all that she got. I don't, I don't, I don't know my great grandparents. I don't, I don't know what she grew up like in the country. Um, and I mean country, dirt, dirt, rock roads, um, outhouses, wood burning stoves, you know, drawing water out of a well. Um, she gave me what she could give me. And she gave it, I and mean, she gave it to me in the way that she could give it to me. Um, so I, I, I don't stand in judgment of her. Because another thing that I share in the book, yeah, I didn't get any of that from my mom. But one day when I, without telling the whole story, one day when I lay in a burning house and my mom had just got in her car to leave and she saw smoke coming from a room that I was in and I had taken some pain medicine. So I didn't even know I was in the world. I was feeling pretty good. But the room right next to that I was sleeping in, in the back of the house, was on fire. And she came through the front door of that smoke-filled house, made her way to the back with her little bit of self and got her big old son up out of that house. So I said she gave me life and then turned around one day and saved my life. So what she did or didn't do as I was a child, Mama got forgave for all of that. And I say forgave as if I held something against her for it. But, again, I say she gave me what she could give. And I spent the rest of my life looking for it where I could find it. Okay. Anybody else? Question, comment, contribution. Have I done all right with trying to explain this? Somebody else? Well, I'm just going to say, I don't know if anybody else is on the line, but I'm just going to say you made it very clear about codependency and um, even using your life as a... as an example of it, um, it makes uh, any listener now or later on to understand and even kind of put their sails in your shoe to see if they have any of those um, issues. And by you speaking of therapy, they know it's a way out. So I appreciate this because it, it helps. And, you know, this. I realize that this just scratched the surface because I'm not I'm not a professional at this, you know I've 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 just had to live with this, uh, and I, I was about to say something and I um, and I I lost track of my conversation when I was talking about a few minutes ago about allowing religion to get into way of my my healing. If anybody's familiar with the with the twelve step programs for people that are addicts, be it alcohol or drugs. Um, in those programs, they say you're you're always a recovering addict, and I was just too saved to be a recovering anything always. You know, I'm I'm so I mean I'm trying to the words say the words say no weapon formed against me will prosper. You know, the words say no I'm I'm I've been delivered I've been set free. You ain't gonna you ain't gonna make me say I'm gonna always be no recovering nothing. I walked away from my treatment. Um, when I should have stayed. 
I mean, that was the program. That's what they say. I wasn't there to to, to go by, you know, that partic- that one particular phrase. I was there to get help. And I know oftentimes, and this is not to be critical of anybody's religion or anybody's belief or nothing of the, nothing of the sort, um, but, you know, sometimes we can become signs and wonders, people. But it ain't going to always be the Red Sea parting or fire coming from the sky. And I'll I'll share one more thing, and I'll I'll uh, see if anybody has something to say, and, and we'll end our call this evening. We've been here about 45 minutes now. When I say that everything is not signs and wonders, it reminds me of a story I heard a long time ago. And there was this flood that was in, imminent in the city. And, and when the water began to rise, uh, the fishers got in their boats and they went around to try to save people. And the water pretty much come up to the porch at people's house and it came to this old man and said, old man, come on, get in the boat. We're going to take you to safety. The old man said, no, I prayed to the Lord and God going to save me. Get away from here with your boat. And they didn't have time to argue with him because there are other people that needed to be saved. So they couldn't stand there all day trying to get him in the boat. So they left and they, they came. They left and they came back. And by this time, he was on the roof. He said, well, come on, old man, get in the boat. We're going to bring you to safety. I told y'all, I prayed to the Lord, and God going to save me. Get away from here with your boat. So they had to leave again. There's still other people in this water on top of roofs and all that. So by the time they came back, they came back in a helicopter. The man was standing on the peak part of the roof, wasn't nothing out the water but his head. He was blowing bubbles. And the man reaching down out the helicopter, oh, man, give me your hand so I can save you. And he that blowing bubbles, so I, I, I pray to the Lord and God go save me. Well, he drowned. And when he got to, I guess what we call the pearly gates, and he saw Jesus, he said, Lord, why you let me drown? And Jesus gave him this little funny look. Say, I sent two boats and a helicopter for you. When I walked away from therapy that day saying I was too saved that I wasn't, mm -mm, I ain't going to ever be no recovering nothing. I could almost imagine if I went to hell and said, God, I had to deal with that my whole life. I told people that I wouldn't know recovering everything. I put therapists and counselors and psychiatrists and social workers all around you. Anybody else have something to say in closing this evening? Yes, I would just like to say that... uh... I have enjoyed everything that was um, said, um, uh, communicated about codependency. And uh, I want to go back to uh, where, back then where our parents and our grandparents, you know, they they didn't give us the affirmations through expression of words, communication that I love you. But they showed it through their actions. But I didn't know that then. And um, even with talking with my sister-in-law today, um, my nieces, 
had posted something on Facebook that she was just tired of life and all. And I said, well, I'm going to call her mother to see what's going on, to see what's going on. And uh, she said her daughter had mentioned to her, well, my my daddy didn't tell us that uh, he loved us and blah, blah, blah. And said so they get so the sad thing about it is that I know now that love is an action word. Uh, right. Back then, I didn't know. And so I told her, I communicated to her. I said, you know, my brother, he really did love his kids. She said, I know that. He gave them everything that they need. Except that affirmation through communication that I love you. Cause they, she said they expressed that through communicating with her that daddy never told us that I'm proud of you. I love you. And see, that's why it's so important for today that as parents raising uh, children to um, communicate the love, you can buy them any and everything that they want, but they want to hear you, you know, to communicate love out of your expression through your mouth. They want to hear it. And so I believe that that causes um, uh, one of the reasons I think that causes some to go looking for love in all the wrong places. Uh, that causes uh, uh, addiction uh, behavior, uh, you know, behaviors, you know, addictions or whatever, because they're trying yeah. to validate. You're trying to find that love, you know, um, that they feel like they don't have, and really, they do have. But they're looking for it because they haven't heard it. They they want to hear it. They want to hear it said to them. And no, I didn't. I, and I I didn't realize that even coming up. You know. You know. I thought I reflect back on my life. I read your book. I read the book. It's, it's a very good book, Moving the Mountain. And I'm saying that made me reflect back on my life. And I said, Wow, this is awesome. You know. Um, and just to look back, and I'm saying, well, I can see uh, some codependence, you know, you know, and I, in my life, uh, but I know, like you say, it's different levels of codependence, right. you know. But uh, nevertheless, I just want to just add that little piece to it, and just um, say that the the book, uh, the book that you wrote. Uh, Moving My Mountains. Uh, it's a very good book. And I, it's a book that I recommend that, you know, everybody read because it's an eye-opener. It opened my eyes and made me reflect on my life. And, um, and one thing we need to tell our children, we need to communicate verbally. I love you. I'm proud of you. Exactly. You know, you know, you 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 just it's something that you just got to do. That's what they're looking for, and and and, and it's, it's 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 not you know everything is not a coincidence. It's just that like, I just talked with her today, and I knew this was going to be broadcast. I said, "Wow," you know, and I just had read my niece's post. Like, well, I said, well, I'm going to call her mom and see what's going on. And her mom brought this up to me. And I said, wow, look at this. And they was wanting to hear their dad, which is dead and gone now, just 
tear them. And he brought them everything. Everything they want. I mean, he brought them more than enough. But, you know, and they, they just wanted to hear that I love you. And she, she communicated that to me. They didn't ever told us this. They didn't never, you know. And so, but, you know, but you make choices. You got your, you, 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 you got, you got, you make your own choice, but, you know, you are influenced by certain things. But you always got the power to make your own choice, I believe. Um, that's right. That's what I just wanted to add to it. But um, it's been very interesting. This conversation. You, 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 you made me realize something. You made me realize something that I should have added, but I did say our parents gave us what they could, and although I grew up, as you said, I grew up not hearing, you know, mom say I love you and the hugs and the kisses and all of that. But by the same token, like I said, I didn't know what mom had been through. I didn't, I didn't know her life because, um, it was, it was after, it was a couple of weeks after I buried my mom and we had another family member that had passed away. And keep in mind, you know, I done, I done told everybody here. I told everybody in the book about this lack of affection, love, and come here, baby, let me hug you. Let me kiss you. You know, you could almost feel unloved if you're not careful. Um, because it ain't about things, but I say all that to say, uh, my cousin's funeral was over. We were at the repairs and I was sitting next to this lady and she said, excuse me. I'm like, yes, ma'am. She said, you were speaking at your mother's funeral and you mentioned your sister. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, I talk to your mama every day on the phone. And this is nothing mm-hmm. against my sister at all. She said, I talk to your mama every day on the phone. I thought you was the only child. Your mama just go on and on and on about my son this and my son that and my son got this and my son doing this. And I just sit there and cry. It wasn't that she wasn't feeling it. I guess from that I take she wasn't able to express it. Exactly. My mom always loved me. My mom was proud of everything I did. I didn't do anything that she wasn't proud of, but she didn't know how to express it. And to take that even further, now that we're talking about it, she was expressing it when I got that new bike. She was expressing it when I got them little toy soldiers. She was expressing it when I got my first car. She was expressing it every time she put dinner on the table. She was expressing it every day of them 32 years. She went to that public school and worked in that cafeteria. She was expressing it. I can make the argument that I needed to hear it, but I can't complain about the life my mom gave me. She gave me love in the way that she could give it to me. And I think now, and I think there may not be nobody on this call the. I talk about, I'm 58 years old. I'm talking about when I was a child, not hearing my mama say she loved me and appreciated or come here, baby. But I think if, if anybody here be in a grocery store and I see people talking to a child and say, bring your stupid self here. Bring your dumb eight. Sit your dumb eight down somewhere. Oh, my God. 
without even realizing what they may be doing to that child. I was talking to a dear friend not long ago and was talking about sometimes the, the dads need to uh, do dress-up. Uh, and I, I don't want to use the word. I don't want nobody to take it out of context. But dads need to date their daughters. They need to have a time when they can dress up and bring their daughters out and show them the way that they should be treated because they don't they don't have no roadmap. Because if, if as fathers we showed our daughters the attention and love that they needed, then once they got out there and started dating, then they would be less likely to take some of this crap off of these young men or whatever that they take off of them because they would know they don't have to be treated like that. And their, and their dad would have been their example. Oh, no, you can't talk to me like that. My dad don't talk to me like that. Right. Yeah, I agree. But life is filled with experiences, and it all, a lot of it has to deal with how we process them. But the thing, whatever the stigma is associated with therapy and therapists and mental health, and I, I will add this, mental health ain't no joke. One of one of my biggest challenges over the years, especially when you're dealing with somebody that you care about or that you believe you that you believe you love or whatever, and you know that you're going through something. And codependency is not like high blood pressure and and stuff you can point to. You know, put that cup on your arm and whoo, my pressure high. But trying to sit down and explain to something that I, I I've, I've got codependency. I'm, I'm going through something. Well, what you mean? Well, you know, it, it it makes me wanna, or it makes people, and and you know, it, it could be hurtful sometimes, and it could be. Well, I don't know what you're talking about. Now, you want to talk about something hurt? Try to tell somebody what your hurts are, and they don't get it. Mm. Yeah. Anybody else have a contribution? I'm I'm gonna leave the line open as long as somebody got something to say. You know, well, I just to need to know the name of your book again and how can I purchase it. Moving My Mountains, My Journey to Peace from Codependency. It's on Barnes & Noble. It's on Amazon. As a matter of fact, I ordered some copies. So if you inbox me or get in touch with me, um, get the, give me the necessary information. Not here on the open line, of course. I'll be sure that you can get that you get one. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Does anybody else like to make a contribution to this discussion tonight? If there's not, um, I'm going to ask for a volunteer this evening that wouldn't mind uh, closing us out in prayer. And and since I opened up for a volunteer, there might be more than one person that wants to pray this evening. That's fine. Then whoever starts off, when they finish, you pray behind them. But when the prayers are over, the line will be done, and we'll say goodnight for this Monday, and we'll do it again, God's willing, on next Monday. But if there's somebody that, if there are those of you, whoever, that would like to close us out in prayer this evening, I invite you to do so at this time. Father God, we just thank you, O oh God, for who you are in our lives. We thank you for your love and kind and tender mercies on every side, Lord Jesus. Thank you for this call, Lord, for just being genuine and very pure, O oh God, to let others understand 
what you what has been done in their lives through experiences, oh God, but there is hope in you, oh God, that we can lean upon you and your word to help us through, that there are people that you've designed in this world, oh God, to help us with therapy, oh God, in the name of Jesus. So we thank you for this call, and I ask you right now in the name of Jesus, touch Mr. Keller, oh God, as he continues to outpour his life to others, to encourage, to inspire, and to empower them, oh God. Give him a fresh anointing, oh God, upon his life, oh God. Any need that he has, oh God, that he's petitioned to you, Lord, grant that need according to your riches and glory, oh God. Any call, any listener that's on this call, Lord, if they have any needs, oh God, give them their needs, uh, grant their needs, oh God, to according to your riches and glory, oh God. Because with you, we are nothing. We have all hope in you, Lord Jesus, and we lean upon you even the more this day, O oh God. In the mighty name of Jesus, we give you all honor, all praise belongs to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm hanging up. I enjoyed each and every one of you. Have a blessed night. Amen. Amen. If there's no one else, I thank God for each and every one of your presence. Thank you for being patient with me while I tried to tell my story. But I've lived long enough to know everybody's out of story. Um, but we serve a God who is able to do anything but fail. Is able to do exceedingly as abundantly above all that we can ask and think. We serve God that's a healer. We have a God that will never leave us nor forsake us even until the end of time. So may God bless and keep each and every one of you as my prayer. Uh, we'll do we'll do this every Monday at 6 o'clock. I have no idea what the next topic will be at this time. I just ask to be led by God that it, be, that it would be something that might help somebody. So everybody's calm. I'll say good night at this time, and everybody be blessed. Good night. Good night. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.